Hello and welcome to the Max Moo Theater and Performance Podcast. This is our March preview. Enjoy the show. Let's start with introductions, David. Hi, this is David Levy. Uh, you can find everything you want to know about me at itsthelevy.me. And Jack. Hi, I'm Jack. Uh, I uh, work at the Public Theater in New York City. Uh, my views, as always, are my own. And this is Lindsay, the founder of Max Moo. And let's just dive in with what we're looking forward to seeing at the theater this month in New York City. David, why don't you start? So the first show that I brought for our previews today is Boy, which is a co-production of the Keen Company and Ensemble Studio Theater. This is one of those shows that was funded in part by the Sloan Foundation in their endeavor to get more plays that have to do with science on the boards. And uh, it's really interesting, based on a true story show by Anna Ziegler, who has also written about science in Photograph 51, which you guys may know as the Nicole Kidman DNA play that's on the West End. That's right, yeah. Um, This one is about a boy who was a twin who had a botched circumcision and was raised by his parents as a girl until he was a teenager when he started to, I guess, hit puberty and figure out that maybe he wasn't a girl. Hmm. And uh, I don't actually know a lot more about how this play unfolds. They, they Even the, the, the nature of his injury was um, obscured in the more recent marketing materials. I had to sort of dig back through... Oh, that's interesting. Things from, from previous readings to find out. Like, I mean, I assume that's what it was. Uh, but it's it's a story about him and his mother, him and his doctor. Uh, it's at Theater Row at the Claremont Theater, hmm. directed by Lindsay Furman, who is the director of play development at Ensemble Studio Theater. She also directed the New York production of Photograph 51. So she has a, a long relationship with Anna Ziegler, who's a member of Ensemble Studio Theater. Hmm. It's interesting to me, and Jack, you may know more about this than I do, it's a play that was developed by, or not developed by, commissioned by Manhattan Theater Club, and yet it's being produced by other theaters. I don't know how that works. Oh, I mean, I does and that I, happen it, all the time? It, it, it does. Yeah, okay. I mean, it's one of those things where it it, de- it depends on theater to theater. So, but what that all, the only thing that commissioning necessarily means is like, hey, we're going to commission you to write this play, and you know that does not necessarily mean we're going to produce it, kind of thing. Um, we it, a lot of it would be great if we do, but we also like you know just as often we'll say, okay, go pursue other opportunities, which might have been the case here. I have no idea. Oh, interesting. I just but, I don't know. I, I that's one of those things that I've only started does, to pay attention to. Right. So. Commissioning does not equal we're going to produce your play oh yeah very cool not always uh, also worth mentioning this was a Kilroy play this was on the Kilroy list Yay. in 2014 and um, that's how it came to the attention of the Keen Company so way to go Kilroy's oh that's great yeah um, it stars Bobby Steggert uh, who you may remember from Mothers and Sons or from the Ragtime Revival or Big Fish uh, Heidi Armbruster I believe plays the mom, she was the wife in Disgraced when it was at Lincoln Center, and a handful of other fine folks. Uh, and this is a show that is uh, it's running. It's already it's up. It's I don't think it's been reviewed yet, but it's now through April 9th. Tickets regular price are sixty two fifty, but there are student tickets at any time, not rush for twenty five. There's also twenty five dollar tickets for general rush, and at least in the first couple weeks of the show, they're participating in the twenty at twenty promotion, which means. 20 minutes before curtain. If there are tickets available, you can get those for $20. Great. Um, so I'm looking forward to seeing this. 
Yeah, I mean, uh, also, uh, people might recognize Anna Ziegler's name. She was just in town uh, this last fall with uh, A Delicate Ship, which was the play mm. that was produced uh, by the Playwrights Realm that went up in the Peter J. Sharp Theater, which is the upstairs mm. theater of Playwrights Horizons. Um, and that had Nick Westright and some other lovely people in it. And that was like more of a just sort of a young people sort of family drama, relationship drama um, that was actually be- like beautifully directed by Margot Bordelon. But um, it was my real first immersive introduction to Anna's work, and she's a very poetic writer. So I'm curious, based on you know uh, the Sloan plays, a lot of times the the plays that are uh, sort of meant to uh, introduce science into the world of theater. Uh, sometimes they tend to be very didactic because it feels like there's a lot of science that needs to be explained. So I'm very interested to see how Anna Ziegler, who again is a very poetic writer, sort of works within the realm of me- the medical field in this particular story. I'm, I'm curious to see how that marriage works. Yeah, it's interesting. I was not familiar with any of her work. I knew some of the titles, but hadn't seen them. Mm-hmm. But reading through her website and getting a sense of the things she's interested in, I feel like she might be my next favorite playwright. Yeah, mm-hmm. totally. Um, and if you want a, a hint of what Boy is like, there's a YouTube video from a previous reading of an actor doing one of the monologues. So it's just a, a little bit of a taste, but if you want to get a, a feel for the language and, and what that's like, you can look that up. Well, why don't you send me that link and we'll put it on the show page. I will do that. Awesome. So, okay, Jack. All right. Um, I'm going to begin with uh, our friends at New York Theater Workshop, uh, who uh, next up on the boards after uh, Lazarus closed is uh, a new play by our friend and yours, Lucas Nath. Uh, a play called Red Speedo. Um, oh, wow. Speaking of Sloan graduates. Speaking <laughs> of Sloan graduates, uh, and also who was the subject of a rather uh, controversial and heated podcast uh, with his previous play in town, The Christians of Playwrights Horizons. Uh, so with this play, uh, Red Speedo, uh, is being directed by one of my favorite sort of relatively early career directors in Liliana Blaine Cruz. Um, she's mostly kind of worked in the new play development field, directing readings and workshops. That's primarily how I know her, um, and this is a huge, wonderful uh, gig for her. Uh, so this play, uh, which had its world premiere a couple years ago um, at uh, the Studio Theater in my hometown of Washington, D.C., is about uh, this sort of Michael Phelps-esque swimmer, uh, professional swimmer, and this is on takes place on the eve of the Olympic trials, uh, swim trials for the Amer- uh, U.S. team, and there's a lot of pressure building around this swimmer um, in his personal life, and his professional life. There's sort of just the, you know, groaning weight of expectation and success, uh, as well as perhaps, um, you know, some discussions about uh, cheating and morality uh, in uh, the field of sports. Uh, So this... uh also, another reason I'm really excited to see this is the cast is fantastic. Um, some of my favorite actors in New York are featured in it. Uh, Jay Fernandez, Lucas Caleb Bruni, and the Zoe Winters, who I feel like is a name that a lot of people don't know, but she's worked consistently around town for the past couple years, and she's one of my favorite actors in New York, so I'm very excited to see her in this. Um, also, so a couple things to say about this. One, from a design perspective... I think there's going to be a pool on stage, yep. which is pretty rad. Someone tweeted out um, a photo of the what, what they've been setting up at yep. North Theater Workshop. <laughs> it looks amazing. So I'm very excited to see how that worked because water on stage is always an unwieldy beast. Um, and then just, look, I think I of the Maximu gang was, I think by far the kindest um, and uh, biggest fan of the Christians. Uh, so I'm just going to repeat why I love him here and why I'm excited for this play based on Lucas. 
you know, th- first of all, there's a lot of plays that we've seen in the past couple seasons that are about sports and about athletes. They all tend to be about the sort of the the contained, very, uh, you know, sort of isolated world of the sports themselves and sort of plays within the drama of the rules of sports and the culture around the sports. But this actually sort of feels like it's going to take a slightly more a broader view in that it'll it's sort of a deconstruction of swimming as a sport as a metaphor for the competitiveness and the win-win-win-win nature of American life and culture which I'm excited about and I I personally think that Lucas has had a great track record of doing this I kind of consider him the great deconstructor in the American theater he's um someone who always takes a very close look at uh, very specific communities and manages to untangle them and make them feel very relatable and very universal um, without necessarily being condescending or brainier than thou is what I always feel. Um, so I'm very excited to see what he does with uh, Red Speedo. This should be a, a good show. I have friends who saw it yesterday and they texted me afterwards. They're like, well, if the Christians wasn't for you, this probably isn't either. But that's not <laughs> to say that it's not a good play. I mean, I have friends who adored the Christians. I just wasn't one of them. Yeah. Right. Okay. Well, I actually, Jack, I think you might have sold me on that. I think it sounds very interesting. Awesome. And I did not see the Christians because I was out of town. So I haven't been spoiled in that way. <laughs> Super good. So I'm going <laughs> to uh, talk about, uh, mine is kind of a twofer because the new Black Fest has two different things happening in March. Um, we've talked about the new Black Fest on this podcast before. It is it it, it is a, a theater um company but also so much more than that it actually on their website if you go there it says the new black fest is a theater movement and i think keith joseph atkins the artistic director and one of the co-founders is one of the most brilliant minds working in theater day at merging theater and politics and activism absolutely he has developed this incredible model where he invites multiple playwrights to contribute very short plays on a particular topic it started with facing our truth 10 minute plays on trayvon race and privilege um it that went on to hands up seven playwrights seven testaments and i just think both of those productions are brilliant and moving and really should be required viewing for anybody who is eager and interested in participating in the theater and also anyone who is curious and wants to learn more, genuinely educate themselves about the Black Lives Matter movement and about the challenges that face African-American people in the United States, which I think it can be difficult to understand if you are not a black person because you don't have that experience. But I learned a lot from both of those productions, and they have a new one that um, is created in collaboration with the brilliant playwright Dominique Morisseau. So we Ooh. all recently <laughs> raved about her production, Skeleton Crew, which is coming back to a larger theater at the Atlantic. Um, she worked on curating this, and it is Untamed Hair, Body, Attitude, Short Plays by Black Women. And Hands Up was um, mostly male playwrights. When I saw it, it was only male playwrights, and it was very directly speaking to the black male experience. They have since added a, a, a female contributor to that, which I have not seen that um, her contribution to that. But this is very clearly, I think, a response to that, which is the, the, the black female experience. Um, there is going to be a short run of these plays at the National Black Theater, March 24th through the 28th. The tickets are $25. (laughs) Oh, no, really? Yeah, I might be able to catch the first night. 
Yes, I'm definitely going to see that. I'm very, very excited about it. Because like yeah. I said, the original, um, the two original productions where they had other t- playwrights contributing on other topics, I just think are some of them, I don't know, going with genius and brilliant and yeah. favorite here. But I really, really, really love them. Yeah. Um, and then the other thing that New Black Fest is doing is in collaboration with The Lark. And it is a week-long festival uh, showcasing five different pieces by five different black playwrights. The Lark, for folks who don't know, is a playwright development organization, and they often do public staged readings um, all along the spectrum of what a staged reading looks like, everything from people standing at music stands all the way up to and including uh, having a set and costumes and a, a really a really senior level playwright or excuse me, a senior level um, workshop production. I saw Skeleton Crew by Dominique Morceau, speaking of, uh, in, in one of those far along workshops and it was very exciting to get to participate in that. Later this month, they are doing that with five different playwrights and the tickets to this are free and they're just basically a reservation and most of them are sold out already. However, they do a wait list before each production and they bring people in off that wait list. It's very, very common. So it, there's still at least one or two productions that have reservations available, but I'm definitely going to try to catch as many of those as possible. Definitely one that I have a reservation to, and I would like to see more if I can. This is probably a great point to mention that Lindsay did a really excellent uh, sit-down interview with Keith Joseph Atkins on this podcast Uh, a little over a year ago that you can find in our archives and probably in the description for this show. Yes, I will link to it. (laughs) Thank you, David. Oh, next. Now it's my turn. Uh, Continuing down my gender journey for today, uh, we're going to talk about Southern Comfort, which is at the Public Theater in the Unspacher. 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 That's that's literally all I'm going to say on this topic. (laughs) I'm going to lean back in my chair now and let you talk about a public theater show. Um, So this is a show that, it's funny, I don't, I'm not so tied into the new play development world as some of our other contributors are, but this is a show that I've been aware of for a couple years because it had a previous production at Barrington, um, and there is a very well-produced, I'm not sure if it's a cast album or a demo that I have had in my collection for a little while. So I was familiar with it. It's also based on a film, on a documentary from 2001. And it is about a a transgender man named Robert Eads who developed ovarian cancer and could not find a doctor to treat him in Georgia uh, because of their fear of what that might do to their practice. Uh, This has been developed into a musical by Julianne Wick Davis, who's a composer, with book and lyrics by Dan Collins. It won the Jonathan Larson grant in 2012, which is a very prestigious musical theater grant. Uh, It's directed by Thomas Crusoe, who also was one of the people who had the idea to turn this movie into a musical to begin with. And it stars Annette O'Toole, who uh, we love from Superman 3. And Hamlet in Bed. (laughs) Um, And all sorts of, in Smallville. Um, I clearly have a very particular knowledge of Annette O'Toole. Um, (laughs) Anyway, this, so on the one hand, I was super excited because I love new musicals, and um, this is a new musical that takes place in rural Georgia and has a very southern, almost roost music sound to the score, which I think is super interesting. Uh, And I'm very interested in the exploration of gender uh, on stage 
And on the other hand, uh, the public did a very public um, casting search for transgender actors to be in the show. And they cast two, uh, Donnie Sanchero and Anish Sheth. And they're playing, from what I understand, supporting roles in the cast. And that's great. They're actors I'm not familiar with. I'm excited to see them and have them introduced to the stage. But there was a lot of disappointment on the part of people who were expecting that nationwide casting search to end up with more trans people in the cast. That was only two people and that neither of them were playing the lead. Um, you know, I, first of all, Annette O'Toole has been with this project for years and years, I'm pretty sure. I, I'm pretty sure it's her voice on the recording that I have. Which is not to say that that makes her casting right or wrong, but I think that that was probably uh, not up for grabs when this whole casting um, search went on. Uh, this sort of got brought into the spotlight when a theater maker by the name of Taylor Edelhart, who identifies as genderqueer, wrote an open letter to the public that got circulated a lot on the internet, um, complaining not only that there were only these two trans actors, but also that there were no other trans people in the company, on the staff, in the you know writing development process. Um, what's interesting is I, I so went back and I reread the letter, and then I read an interview that Edelhart did with Huffington Post, where they said that they were hoping that obviously it was too late at this point for the production to recast or suddenly have you know a new trans writer join the team or something like that. So they were hoping that they would lead to an open forum and very much to the credit of the public theater. It has, uh, Jack, you're going to need to give the details, but there's a big town hall right at the beginning of this, uh, production, right? Yeah, correct. When, when is that? Uh, March 5th, I believe. Okay. And that's open to the public and it's free. Mm -hmm. And it's a time for people to come and, uh, you know, express their concerns and, and their frustrations and learn, more about I think the public's process and their their thinking and maybe even make some inroads for what might happen differently in future shows who knows um, also to the public's credit that's not the only thing they're doing there's uh, probably more talkbacks for this show than I've ever seen at a show at the public uh, sorry real quick yep. I actually I said the wrong date it's March 7th at 7 p.m. okay my bad great and um, if you look at the public website you can see which per, which dates have talkbacks and they're two different kind. There's some that have guest speakers, specialists to talk mm -hmm. to the audience about the play. And then there are some that are this new ish model that they're trying out, which is to hopefully foster audience conversation, but around specific big idea questions, which will hopefully diffuse some of the challenges that we often encounter at talkbacks where they become more like, Hey, look how smart I am with my big long comment. That's not actually a question. We'll see. I, I I believe that if anyone can crack the talkback nut, it is the public theater. Um, so I'm excited for this. If you're not a member of the public theater, tickets are start at $50 and go up from there. If you are a member, it's interesting. They're $30 tickets for the first couple weeks of the run, and then they go up to $40 starting on March 7th. So, yeah, that's basically a preview main run mm. price difference. Uh, is that something that the public generally does? I, this is my first time experiencing that. Yeah, I hadn't yeah. noticed that before. Although I, I, it's funny because I tend to like seeing things towards the end of previews. I'm all for this. Right, yeah. <laughs> right. 
All right. Thanks, David. That sounds interesting. Okay, next up, Jack. Okay, uh, uh, my next uh, show is The Way West by Mona Mansour, which is uh, starting previews this month uh, at our friends at the Labyrinth Theater Company over on Bank Street. And this production is being directed by Mimi O'Donnell, who is the current artistic director of Labyrinth. Uh, So uh, like all of the plays that I'm talking about today, this uh, is a New York premiere, not a world premiere. Uh, People first saw this in a big way at Steppenwolf in 2014. um, And thankfully, uh, the show's star uh, has traveled to New York with the production in uh, Deirdre O'Connell, one of the great actors uh, of our time. And uh, full disclosure, uh, Mona was a uh, uh, is a proud alum of the Public Theater's Emerging Writers Group, which I run. Just I wasn't there at the time when she was there, but uh, full disclosure there. Uh, but so she, also, she's great. Like even if Jack wasn't no, around no, no, this no, table, we'd be talking about like, her. And also a participant in the. Um, Facing our, truths. Yes, oh. facing our truths, yes, facing our truths, yes, yes, a, a terribly pro- prolific playwright, um, and this play, uh, I'm so glad it's uh, getting to see the light of day in New York. Um, so this is basically about um, a mother who uh, has uh, just filed for bankruptcy, and uh, unfortunately, that does not stop her from spending a shitload of money and taking out loans and doing all kinds kinds of uh, physically irresponsible thing that just sort of um, sort of add insult to injury uh, with her bankruptcy, and so basically her daughter is band together to uh, decide to stage a financial intervention um, to stop their mother's um, uh, horrible uh, financial irresponsibility. And uh, so, you know, this is a play that um, is, uh, you know, it, it's a, uh, it's interesting to me that uh, there's a lot of plays this season that, and that have been floating around for a while that are about people and money in America. Um, At the public, uh, we have Dry Powder coming up by Sarah Burgess, which is all about um, how our sort of financial industry works. And I'm glad that that is in town at the same time as this one, because this is more about financial woes and financial pressures and anxiety in America on a very personal level. And it sounds like a very common thing. It's like everyone has money problems. Everybody worries about money all the time. Um, But what I like about Mona is that she finds a way to kind of take the idea of stifling poverty and financial irresponsibility on a personal level and actually kind of expand it out into the ideas behind like how money as a concept and debt as a concept boxes us in um, not just financially, but also culturally and and um, and and personally. Um, it also, you know, money, this kind of debt tends to define our class and us in a certain way and how people, you know, define us in, in a certain way. And uh, also how we kind of band together to break free from it. Uh, so you know, this is a uh, this is something that uh, a sort of a territory of writing that I uh, Mona hasn't really explored before. So I'm excited that she's um, exploring this new territory with this play. Um, and in addition to uh, Deirdre O'Connell, it has one of my other favorite uh, actors who you have certainly seen but may never have heard the name of, Alfredo Narciso, who is you, – you you guys will know uh, – you two sitting here with me will know him when you see him. Uh, but he's one of my absolute favorite actors in New York too. So, um, yeah, The Way West uh, at the Labyrinth Theatre Company. I'm very excited for that one. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm going to talk about the Culture Mart 2016 at HERE. Culture Mart is a festival that HERE produces annually that is an opportunity for their resident artists to try out the projects that they're working on. HERE fosters experimental, multidisciplinary artists, and they have a residency called the HERE Artist Residency Program, or HARP. And then they give them these workshop performances 
and they're often very short, sometimes just 20 minutes. Um, they can be up to, I think, about an hour. I'll be honest, I haven't always enjoyed everything I saw at Culture Mart. <laughs> um, <laughs> but as always, I think that it's interesting to expose yourself to weird and new things. And I have seen some things there that were excellent. Um, the shows this year run through March 2nd through the 12th. And the tickets are only $15. And there's a student rush that is free. Um, I'm just going to highlight two different productions that caught my eye. Uh, Casablanca Box, which is the show they're opening the production I've heard with. such great things. This has uh, been in New York before, Casablanca Box, or in, at least in reading form. I'm, uh-huh. I've heard such great things about it. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. That's so exciting. Yeah. Um, it's by Sarah and Reed Farrington. Casablanca Box. Wow, that's hard to yeah, say. Yeah, right? <laughs> Give it a shot. Mm, I will not be repeating that in a better pronunciation because I'm not sure I can. It is an exploration into the accidental nature of great art through the lens of the 1942 film Casablanca. With an intricately woven multi-narrative script and video score, Casablanca Box is an imagined making of and an immersion into the glamour war, censorship, sexism, racism, addiction, and violence of 1940s Hollywood. So here's what I love about that blurb is that they had to add the 1942 film Casablanca as if like we needed that qualifier. <laughs> I love that. Just like, well, uh, uh, which kids, Casablanca? Kids Would, today, remind me which Casablanca we're talking about here. Oh, I the mean, 42 film. They, I see. They, you could be talking about the city. Like it is a real place. Well, yeah, but I don't know. There's something about that phrase that is the odds in that context of never mind. Yeah. Now, the other thing here is very well known for is their opera musical festival every January prototype and I think that they have been integrating more opera artists into their residency program of late and so the other one I want to mention is Thomas Paine and Violence by Paul Pinto Um, and this is another one that's actually on a shared bill with this tree so I think this is probably like a 30 minute experiment workshop Um, simultaneously set in and around the posthumous mind of the revolutionary artist Thomas Paine in Violence is a dense is a text-dense psychedelic opera taking place in a cosmic radio station and inspired by Payne's most radical writings, political soapboxing, swearing, censorship, slam poetry, Henry Fonda, and shock jock punditry. If you liked Hamilton, the hip-hop musical, (laughs) get ready for Thomas Payne, the psychedelic opera. Yes, indeed. Maybe, maybe. Um, Anyway, these shows generally only have one or two performances. um, And like I said, the the tickets are pretty cheap, only $15. And uh, once again, they take place March 2nd through the 12th at here. Guys, I also brought an opera to the table. I feel like such a smarty pants today. Yes, do it. It's called Figaro 90210. (laughs) Well, yeah, if you're going to bother. Yeah. Uh, So this is at the Duke starting March 19th. It came to us by way of LA Opera. And it is, as you might imagine... Mozart's The Marriage of Figaro with a new libretto that sets it in Beverly Hills. However, it is not about rich white teenagers. It is actually um, a it's actually a contemporary update that uses the structure of Marriage of Figaro to look at race relations and uh, what's going on with uh, the situation with undocumented immigrants. And it sounds really interesting. It's an incredibly diverse cast. They have characters who represent Mexican-Americans and the Armenian community and Korean business people and uh, African-Americans. And it's all with the, you know, the real Mozart opera with a new 
text in English and Spanglish by Vigorero, um, who's had a couple of other pieces around town um, that I think his other pieces have been a little more musical theatery. Um, this just, I, I don't know, it sounds so smart without being too self-serious. It seems like it's a lot of fun. Got great reviews at the LA Opera. Um, there's a concert version that was put on YouTube. So again, if you're like not sure if this is your sort of thing, check it out. We'll have a link in the episode description. It just, it's like, I don't know if, if you're, if you love opera, it seems like a great way to re-engage with a classic. If you are opera curious, this seems like a great way to encounter a, uh, you know, one of the sort of seminal operas, um, but with, uh, you know, very accessible, it's all in English and Spanglish, uh, you know, and, and, uh, with a story that you can relate to. Uh, it, it just, I don't know. I'm very excited about this. I was in a production of The Marriage of Figaro at summer camp when yeah. I was in the fifth grade. So I have a particular love for it. Um, but it's just, it, it seems like a lot of fun and very smart. Tickets are $89. I know there are discount tickets on TDF and probably elsewhere. Uh, and it's at the Duke. I don't remember if I said that yet on 42nd. Mm-hmm. Cool. Finally, Jack. Yes. Uh, so Ironbound. Uh, this is a play that I've admired for a couple of years now uh, by uh, the extraordinarily uh, extraordinarily talented Martina Mayok, uh, who is, if you know anything about any residency or any fellowship opportunity, Martina sort of either has that slot now or has filled it in the past. She's everyone kind of wants to throw opportunities at her. Um, this is a play, uh, for which I have played and won a new play development bingo, as I call it. I've saw a very early reading of it. I saw a workshop production of it two years ago at the Steppenwolf first look festival. And then last fall, I saw its world premiere at the roundhouse theater in Bethesda, Maryland, not Washington DC, as I've heard it said several times. It is in Bethesda, Maryland. <laughs> and that is an important distinction to make, uh, though we love them. Uh, and, uh, as uh, with all of these productions, uh, and readings and such, uh, this, uh, uh, new production is directed by Daniela Topol, and this is uh, the New York pre- the New York premiere is a co-production between two theaters that we love on this podcast, the Women's Project and the Rattlestick Theater, and it will actually be performed at Rattlestick Space in the West Village. Uh, although, quick aside and shout out, I'm so glad that Women's Project found their new brick and mortar home, which is so nice. They previously had performed most of their work at City Center, sort of in the basement theaters, and now they uh, get to. Uh, take residence at the uh, very splashy McGinn uh, Cazale Theater up on uh, the Upper West Side, which, which is, is one of my favorite theaters in New York. So, Which, if you don't recognize it by name, is the place where Second Stage also does their summer series. Which Correct. confused the heck out of me the first time I went to a Women's Project show, and I was like, yeah. wait a minute, I've been here. Yeah, I went to a reading there, and I was like, oh, they're si- they have their flag outside now. Like They, they say their claim. It's pretty great. Is Second Stage still going to do their summer series mm-hmm. up there? Okay, yeah. it's not replacing Yeah, that. they're just there in okay. the summertime because year-round, they yeah, no. rent it up. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Got it. Um, in fact, I think they just announced the two plays they're doing. They did? Oh, they yeah, did? Yeah, they just yep. announced their summer stage oh, series. Oh, I did not see it. A couple days ago. They, it wasn't a very splashy announcement. It was just under the wire. I digress. Ironbound. Sorry. <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> you know, it's fine. Um, so I love this play. This is a play uh, that is set in New Jersey um, uh, and is about a woman who uh, immigrated to the United States from Poland uh, 
with her husband. And you sort of see her in at various ages. When we first meet her, she's married to a, uh, a native-born New Jerseyan, and she's uh, sort of in middle age. Uh, and then we go back in time to when she first got to the United States with her young husband when she was in her 20s, and then you sort of see her in between um, with her sort of in-between husband, who we actually never see. Um, so it does feel very vignette uh, but it's this beautiful story about immigration um, and about... I think a sort of a reverse engineering of the American experience uh, and, and the uh, the American dream uh, for immigrants. I uh, I love it because it is both incredibly honest about what it means to try to make a living in this country and what it means to be a woman in this country and trying to make a go of it. Um, it also uh, is sort of a little bit of a case study in how dreams die, but then how new ones can be born out of their ashes. The One of the reasons I think Martina is going to be a voice that we lavish praise upon in this podcast for years to come is because I've never seen someone in this generation of playwrights who writes working class characters as well as she does. Mm. Martina herself comes from a working class background and there when you see this play I had this I had the experience when I first saw this play of like I've never seen characters talk like this on stage before. And what I realized is that so many of the plays that I loved that were about working class uh, communities and people are actually kind of filtered through an upper middle class white gaze. Uh, in a way that I, th- I had just sort of internalized and hadn't really, th- you know, so had done any self-reflection on. But this play is one, and, and, and numbers uh, like it have made me kind of realize, oh crap, I was loving these really kind of icky plays for a long time. <laughs> um, in addition to that, it's really fucking funny. It's a really fucking funny play, um, and I'm really, really excited that people in New York finally get to see it, so that it's not just my little secret anymore. Um, the cast is great. Uh, Josiah uh, Bania st- uh, stars in it, uh, who, <laughs> I guess, full disclosure, is the husband of the playwright, um, but also. A fabulous actor uh, Shiloh Fernandez Morgan Spector and most recently Marin Ireland who is replacing Gina Gershon who was originally announced to be playing the uh, the lead role um, it, it, it said it, they announced in a press release that Gina Gershon had left uh, due to creative differences but I love Marin Ireland I actually had kind of always imagined her in this part when I first saw readings and workshops of it so I'm glad to actually see um, that sort of dream realized. Um, this is a totally different production team than the version that you saw in Bethesda. Is that oh, right? Or I, I, think totally... it's, I think it's going to have to be. Actually, I'm, I don't have the, the full creative team in front of me. Uh, the director, Danielle Topol, who, sidebar, is also, uh, like Liliana Bain- Blaine Cruz, an amazing, amazing director of Newark um, in New York, uh, and is also having a big kind of splashy premiere with this. Uh, I don't know if the designers are going to be the same. Um, I will say that the Roundhouse Theater in Bethesda is a cavernous, vast regional theater space, and as we all know, the Rattlestick Theater is a little smaller than that. It sort of feels like a studio apartment um, to the point where the bathroom is backstage. And they t- to have an in-house team that works on most of their shows, right? At Rattlestick? Don't they? Yes. Uh, yeah, I guess yeah. so. Yeah. I mean, certainly their, their lighting, lighting designer, yeah. Yeah. designer oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. who's incredible. Fantastic. So, I mean, like, the, the set in Bethesda was this, like, <laughs> giant A-frame of, like, industrial New Jersey, like, these beautiful iron beams that, like, oh, wow. just, like, just disappeared into the clouds it might as well have been in the ceiling of this massive theater. And I'm sitting there going, like, oh, man, Rattlestick is not going to be able to... You can't just ship this to the Rattlestick. So I'm actually, actually very excited to see what it looks like. That Then again, I saw the workshop production in Chicago, which was a very bare bones production. And I kind of felt like that set, which is just a few pieces of garbage and a, a, a bus stop bench, uh, was kind of sufficient to tell this story. So I'm excited to see what Rattlestick pulls out. 
interesting, Jack. Yeah. I look, no shade to Marin, but I was very disappointed when Gina Gershon left this production. So I had kind of moved it off my priority list. <laughs> but your enthusiasm, it's a good play. as usual, makes me reconsider my decision. Yeah, that's why I'm here. Okay. My final contribution, I fear, is going to be controversial. Uh oh. But. I'm going to talk about Wolf in the River by Adam Rapp at the Flea. Ooh. I might like lose my feminist card or something for this. <laughs> I don't know. I feel like Adam Rapp is one of those playwrights that gets grouped in with like the Neil LeBute dude playwrights. And maybe that's fair because his plays are very visceral and manly and dirty and raw. But he's also responsible for one of my like defining moments in the theater, which was at Rattlestick during the hallway trilogy. I love those plays mm. so much and was so immersed in them that I had one of those moments that you just dream about having, which is that you forget you're in a theater. Yeah. You think you're just observing a conversation. And when something happens, um, and it's not really a spoiler, but there's a pregnant character in that play and it's very dark. This is the second play. It's very dark because it takes place during the blackout um, in New York City. And um, she falls off a stool. And when that happened, I like moved forward a little bit. Like as though I was going to get up and help her. <laughs> and I just remember being like so stunned at, you know, because I didn't go very far. And then when the play ended, I didn't clap because I just, I was just so taken with the whole experience. So I know that, you know, Charles Isherwood hates him. He won't even review his plays anymore, as he very famously publicly wrote in the New York Times. But I find him to be a really compelling playwright, and I think that he's very interesting, and I desire to see his plays when they come to town. It's funny. So there's my apology in advance. I just got the postcard because he has another play coming up at The Atlantic. And realize that I've never seen one of his plays, but I've read so much about him. So oh, man. Uh, I'm glad to know that. I did not chance. know he had a play coming. He is one of the most prolific playwrights. Yes. Like if you read his bio, it's just an endless list. And the yeah. funny thing is that I have I think I've only ever seen one other play read by him. It didn't even make it to the bio. <laughs> <laughs> so apparently it's not one of the top 20 or however many are listed here. And then, of course, the other controversial thing is that the flea utilizes their resident acting company, the Bats, who, you know, they don't pay. And so that's probably a whole uh, conversation for another time. Um, there are definitely people who feel passionately about the fact that they don't pay their actors on both sides. People who very much love that program, believe it has launched the great careers of actors, people who participated in and are current participants in that program, uh, defend it mightily. And then of course there are detractors. And as someone who thinks that people should be paid for their labor, I tend to be sympathetic to that side, but have also participated in unpaid internships that were very beneficial to my life and career. So, <laughs> With all that being said... You just worked through a lot of stuff. Yeah. <laughs> that was amazing to watch. I am excited about this production. Go on. <laughs> you know, um, it is about uh, love and neglect and the challenges of poverty and the value of a girl. I don't know what any of that means, um, but I suspect it'll be very interesting. I'm very excited about the new direct, the artistic director. Nigel Smith. Yes, Nigel Smith. 
who oddly his first name I remembered as Nigel, but couldn't wrap my mind around Smith. So, <laughs> um, you know, and I actually to go just revisit one more time, the unpaid issue, like he has, um, like doubled the fee that they pay the back during tech week, which is still an insignificant amount of money, but it seems like he's moving in direction of, uh, valuing the labor of, of these individuals more. So I do appreciate that. Any, in any event, the tickets are 20 to $80. The sooner you buy them, the cheaper they are. I do love that pricing strategy that the FLEA employs. It is March 10th through May 2nd with an opening on March 21st. And that concludes our discussion for the most part, unless there are other things you would like to add. Uh, I just want to put in a plug for my own upcoming oh, piece yes, in March. Uh, this is our third annual celebration of the Feast of San Jaimes, which is the quasi-religious celebration of the birth of the savior of musical theater, Stephen Sondheim. <laughs> It'll take place at Feinstein's 54 Below on also Monday, March 21st. Uh, this year, we are in prime time and have two shows. So it's at 7 and 9.30. You do not need to stay up late. You do need to buy tickets soon. We have sold out for the last two years. So I would not sit on my hands were I you... Um, we've got some great talent. We've got some old favorites returning, like Molly Pope and uh, Ariana DeBose from Hamilton. We've got some new friends joining us, including Josh Dela Cruz from Aladdin and Ali Ewalt from The King and I, and Jason and Joseph, the Barricade Boys, who just got married in Aww. Les Mis. Uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. It's going to be a great show. Please join us. And if you come and I don't already know you, please say hi and introduce yourself. Awesome. Um, I, I want to say one thing, because when you said the flea, I thought you were going to say something else. There's another play playing right now, which actually closes this month, called But I Can Only Whisper, uh, which is by uh, Christiana Ray Colon. I only bring that up just because I read this play not too long ago, and I fucking love it. And I'm just, I'm so happy that it's getting this production at the flea. So um, see that. And then can I plug Public Studio or no? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, just, just as a, just as a thing, just like David did. Yeah, if he gets the role in it. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Um, so I'm uh, I'm actually right after this podcast, I'm running to rehearsal for uh, this program. We just uh, announced the third iteration of it, the Public Theater, uh, called Public Studio, which is essentially a workshop program where we pick two plays by emerging writers. They get two weeks of rehearsal, two we two days of tech, and eight. Uh, performances that are very sort of writing and rewriting uh, intensive. Uh, as we announced, the two plays are Pretty Hunger by Patricia Ion Lloyd, who is a, a proud alum of our most recent emerging writers group, and a uh, friend of the podcast, Mike Lou's Teenage Dick, directed by Moritz von Stupnagel of Hand to God fame. Uh, both plays are extraordinary. Um, I am a co-curator of this program, so full disclosure there, um, but it's taken up a lot of my time, and I will be there every night, and I hope you guys get to see it. It's ten dollars yeah, to be cheap. a part. Ten dollars to be a part of a, a very, you know, sort of work in progress experience. At your when you're an audience at a work in progress, it's very different from being an audience at a full fledged production. You're very much an active participant in the development of the show. So I please, I hope that uh, listeners come and check this out. I, I really love the public studio. I think yeah. it's a great program, and I'm glad the public does it. Okay, the one thing we did not mention this entire March preview what? is You Are Nowhere You Are Now Here. I'm not familiar with that piece. Which you should go to early. You should go to it often. You and should you come should with us. you should definitely go to it on March 18th. And Sadly, I won't be there, for drinks. but I encourage you. Oh, I, you, want, you can have a cardboard cutout of me that you can bring along. I mean, the good news is that'll name. fit in your pocket. It's very easy to... <laughs> Ring. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, many Maximu contributors, many friends of Maximu contributors Absolutely. will be there. And, and new I, friends. Don't make that 
keep you away. Like, oh yes, no, I consider the, the yeah, friend yeah, yeah. family, the people we know via Twitter and Facebook and Tumblr, and, and people we are excited to meet. Absolutely, and I did invite the creator and artist and his artistic team to join us, and he did say they would come <gasps> to drinks. So my stars, yes, <laughs> do join us for that. It's going to be a lot of fun. Thank you so much for joining us on this episode of the Maximu Theater and Performance Podcast. You can find us all on Twitter. Maximu is at Maximu. David is at It's D. Lovey. Jack is at Jack in Brooklyn. And I'm Lindsay Barons at Lindsay Barons. We'll see you next week.